the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 235 for 11110. To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I am Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. Sitting next to me, Pilot Pete. Hey, everybody. And of course, it wouldn't be the Mac Geek Cab if we didn't have John Efron here in Fairfield, Connecticut. And uh, I couldn't help but notice, Dave, that the date 11110. Yeah, just to be clear, it's 2010. This isn't the 1910 show. Yeah, so if you put the two O in there, then it messes it up. But if yeah, you just say right. one 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 zero, that is binary. I I believe it's a uh, thirty. Yes, it's it's not actually a binary representation of the date, but the date contains the digits that are only available in binary numbers. And it will come out to three zero in base ten. Anyways, <laughs> if you're a computer science student, maybe you. But yeah, otherwise, you just have no idea what we're talking about. And we should just dive right in, Dave. What do we, you know what we have, Dave? I'm looking here, and I, I think I see what we have, unless you have something else. But I, I think we have CES, which you were just at. I was. We're going to talk about uh, Snow Leopard printing. Yeah. Uh, of course, always the cool stuff found, uh, sharing a computer, and a few other little tidbits that I have, and just, uh, you know, calculator. and t- It's just, it's all over the place, man. The, the, it's a full As show. Usual. And there's no way we're going to get to all of it, which is just fine, because that means we'll do more. Uh, so I did just return from CES. I was there very briefly. CES being. Ah, yes. The Consumer Electronics Show, an annual event that happens out in Las Vegas, uh, usually this time of year. It usually sits right on top of Macworld Expo, so I often don't have oh, the opportunity to go. For years and years. And the audience, is, is this for... Uh individuals or, or press or what's what's the target audience here? yeah so it the the official target audience is uh press and and industry buyers and that sort of thing the idea is people show up with their consumer electronics right anything that would be sold to uh people like you and me and and the general populace but it's not for the general general populace to come and see their stuff it's for the media to come okay. and see it and report or uh, people like, you know, the, the, the folks who stock the shelves for Best Buy, right, will show up and say, ah, maybe we want to get this product and put it on our shelves or, you know, Target or whoever. Right. I mean, all those people are there. So so that's essentially what it's for. Now, uh, it's not that difficult to get uh, tickets. <laughs> they let me in. Uh, You're I know, I know. But uh, but, you know, there you do definitely see some of the just the, the general consumers that are going to hack it up and have some fun. And, and that's fine, sure. too. It's a it's a huge show. It uh, the last time I went, believe it or not, was before the Las Vegas Convention Center opened. So it was in like five different halls all over the city. It was before the monorail existed. Uh, oh, so it was a, it was a real nightmare to to get around. Now it's in essentially all in the Las Vegas Convention Center. But. But that's huge. I mean, it's two halls in the south, one in the center. We got very lost. Yeah. I, you know, that's I under world. We didn't realize how amazingly huge that convention center is. After CES, I now understand completely how to navigate that convention center, because if Excellent. I didn't, well, yeah, if I didn't learn, I would have been lost all week. But uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's pretty big. They they actually released an iPhone app that worked out really well. I went in ahead of time. And checked off all the exhibitors that I wanted to see that I needed to meet with or wanted to check out their products or whatever. And uh, then it's synced that down to my iPhone and I could pull up a a map of the convention hall floor 
and it would show me, it would highlight in, in yellow oh. which exhibitors I had already selected. Now, it also was supposed to try and show me where I was. I never got that to work. There was some location well, thing that it was going to use with Wi-Fi. GPS indoors. No, is... it wasn't GPS. It was oh, tri- triangulating like... with Wi-Fi or so. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, sure. Like they, they do in the the uh, the iFi card. Yeah, then, exactly. Uh, who, who is that? Um, but, but yeah, so you can do location with with Wi-Fi. It's not always the greatest, though. Right. It, it, it that didn't work. But still, it was totally fine because I, I, wa- I wasn't there to see everyone. And it really made it you efficient. No, see everyone. No, no. If oh. this is like Comdex, I remember I went to a Comdex oh, show it's once. It's bigger. It's bigger. I think. It's, I, well, it, well, you said it's in uh, that convention center is huge. And I think in the past they've had it in multiple hotels. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So. All right. So you got to so, you got to dive yeah, into what caught your eye. I'll talk about. Yeah. The, so the, the first thing I want to talk about was I went and saw the Microsoft keynote on Wednesday night. So they call it the <laughs> pre-show keynote. Now, you know, here's the thing being, uh, you know, Mac people, uh, John, you and I have seen countless Steve Jobs keynotes. And and that does set the bar very high. Not only. Uh, does Apple have, you know, cool products? Not only do they have a team of people that work very, very hard at scripting and choreographing the whole thing. Uh, they have a master marketer and showman out there to deliver. Right. So sure. And it, the RDF emitter. Yeah, works. That, that's and then right. I got to say always is more often than not. Yeah, pretty much when Steve's done it, you get this kind of warm glow and you, you feel like you're <laughs> yeah. part of the family. I, I, I seriously. Yeah, yeah no, it's um, true. It's true. Uh, he, he's a great showman and everything typically works very smoothly then. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we get to this bomber thing and I knew. I, so I knew going in that, you know, the bar in my head that was set was unattainable. by you know, I mean, it just that's just reality. And that's fine. I've seen other keynotes by other people. It's fine. So I show up. Uh, they dim the lights at, you know, it's supposed to start at uh, 630. I think they dim the lights at 635. And not only do the house lights go out, but there were, you know, a dozen computers on stage and a big screen behind the stage. All that goes dark. All <laughs> the computers or maybe not all of them, but most of them. And and so we spent the next 25 plus minutes while they rebooted the computers and, you know, figured out which circuit breaker to to turn back on. Uh, you know, and you could see from from where we were in the crowd, you could see, you know, the, the computers, most of them were stuck at that, you know, Windows XP. Uh, should I boot into safe mode screen? Right. You know, I was shut down improperly. What should I do now? And so there were people scurrying around the stage. OK, I've, I've done enough work in the big boy corporate world to learn one thing before a presentation. Do mm-hmm. a dry run. Yeah. Uh, to me, it sounds like either somebody was screwing around with something or they just threw it all together and figured that it would just run swimmingly uh, tomorrow yeah. morning. Good luck. Well, it wasn't it was at night. I mean, they could have, you know, done oh, I'm sorry. So they maybe so they threw it together in the morning and figured, hey, you know, work. so I don't know if it was. Yeah. Anyways, go on. So they should have had all these things on battery backup units uh, because one of the things actually blew up. They were going to d- just demo this TV and they couldn't because it, it actually had blown up when they when they killed the power. But anyway, you know, that, that aside, it, yes, it started late. You know, Balmer is his own kind of showman. He's sort of like your goofy old Ophi uncle, right? I mean, it, the, the guy has his own style of charisma, and and he's he's mm-hmm. he's he's semi entertaining. He, he he's very you know very self deprecating, but clearly mm-hmm. a smart guy and and very passionate about what he does. So, yeah. uh, you know, I did not have a problem with Balmer. In fact, I liked him a whole lot more than I expected to. I just didn't expect him to be engaging, and he was. Uh, the other people that he had uh, really weren't all that engaging. 
And the, the topics, the, the subject matter, the flow of it, it wasn't that mm. great. I, I don't want to dwell on the keynote, but I, I wanted to kind of throw that out there and just share. Okay, my, but I chuckled because I saw you tweeting and I'm like, you know, if this had happened at, at a oh. jobs keynote, he would be hurling things at people right yes. and left. Oh, yeah. The, people would have been fired. Entire <laughs> teams of people would have been fired. Because I think yeah. you saw one. I, I, yeah. We were there. We, we weren't within range, but I think Thank goodness. there was something where he was demonstrating some was it an iPod or something? And it and it malfunctioned. He like he literally hurled it at some guy in the front row, which I think was you know the Apple people. So he, he really got annoyed that it didn't work. So uh, on to the products though, because you know we don't need to harp on this this keynote thing. It was what it was. Yeah. Uh, the, the coolest thing that I saw that really caught my eye was by a company called Parrot Parrot.com. They had this device called the AR drone. And what it is, is it's a hovercraft. It's pretty big. I would say it's, you know, maybe a, a foot and a half wide. Uh, and it's it's a remote controlled hovercraft. But the cool thing is, is it's Wi-Fi and it's remote controlled with your iPhone. And hmm. it has a camera in it. Actually, it has two cameras in it. So uh, you can see on your iPhone screen what the hovercraft sees and you control it that way. So if your range is long enough, you, you this thing could actually be out of sight and you could still be controlling it with the iPhone. So that was cool. I don't know what the battery life is, is on it. I mean, huh. the thing is, how monstrous. big is this? Like I said, okay. it's, it's probably a foot and a half. Wide. You know, it's a square uh, device. It's got four propellers. You can, right. you know, it, so it, and, it's, it, it's cool. They had a big, and what booth. A, mm-hmm. they had a big booth there. Uh, that was screened in. They had like this mesh around it. I think that's the only way the CEA would uh, let them, you know, put the put this thing on the show floor and remote control it. So, uh, so that was it. Was pretty cool. That 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 really caught my eye. You know. That's, okay. And uh, weapons. Um. So no, it, no weapon options on the hover. Well, oh. it it has uh, what they call some augmented reality games, where on the iPhone it will put up targets. Uh, and you have to aim the thing <laughs> at the target and and shoot on the on the deal. I didn't play with it enough to to get all of that, but I know that there are some games. So so that part of it's not real, but you're still playing the game and flying the deal, and you know it, it's pretty cool. Uh, so so that that was the thing that caught my eye. Another thing that caught my eye was hypermac.com. They have these uh, extended battery packs for. Uh, not only iPhones and iPods, but also for MacBooks and MacBook Pros. And some of these things, uh, you know, have have a charge. It's like three times as much as what you'd get in your MacBook Pro. They they have mag MagSafe connectors, but the only way they they work, the only way they get them is they have to buy the entire unit from Apple and and, and strip it apart, which is just stupid. Um, but uh, but looks like very cool stuff. Uh, I obviously didn't have a chance on the floor to test the actual life. So I can only go by what they claim, but, but these things looked cool. They had a nice, uh, you know, a nice feel to them, very thin, uh, and, and in different sizes. So you can decide, you know, do I need to, to have the big honking one that will do three times charge or do I need one that's just, you know, two times or whatever. And, uh, so that, that stuff looked very cool too. I, I, uh, I look forward to checking that out. Um, the other thing, it and this isn't Mac related at all, but uh, but the kind of the one of the big trends there was this whole thing about 3D TV, John. And I don't, I mean, every company had it, you know, Panasonic, Samsung. They, I mean, they all had these huge, like monstrous, half a trade show floor size booths 
uh, demoing all this 3D TV. And there were people waiting in line to, to you know, to go into a booth and watch a, you know, TV. Oh. Okay. Because what I was seeing, there, there's two different types. I don't know. Have you seen Avatar 3D yet? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's one style of 3D. But but my understanding is that there are two major flavors. Um, I don't know if you saw both. But one is where you have to wear the uh, tinted polarized glasses. Yes. The other, I've seen ones that have something on the, where you do not need glasses, but they're not quite as nice and that you have to be in a very specific place to get the 3D. And actually, we've seen that at past Macworlds. But right, uh, right. Uh, I would imagine that the glass, you know, the, the ones where you need the glasses are probably more prevalent because I think that's probably a better approach. Yeah. And, that, and that's what this was with with the glasses. And, you know, it. They had, you know, 3D Blu-ray players and 3D televisions. And I mean, I get that. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, why do we need special equipment to do this? We've been watching 3D stuff on our TVs for years. You know, you buy a movie, you put the glasses on and you watch the 3D and it is what it is. But I I guess some of this stuff like like THX certification, you know, you've got this. OK, this was built for 3D and it's going to be a sharper picture. It's going to provide enough bandwidth to it to, to do what it does. That didn't impress me as much as Panasonic's 3D camera. They had a 3D. Uh-huh. They had a 3D video camera. Yeah, and this got you know nobody's paying attention to this, but this this was the the game changer for me. Panasonic had was demoing this 3D video camera that H you know full HD video, and they had it live. They had the camera shining on a couple of balls that were hanging up in the air at, you know, at different different depths away from the camera. And then you could so you could look at the balls and then you could put on the glasses and look at the screen. And the cool part was the guy had a little remote for the camera because it was way up in the air. But on the camera live in real time, he could change the depth of field right there for the 3D. Yeah. So. You know, this this is to me the game changer because it means you, you know, you buy these cameras and now not only are you filming 3D movies, you know, where, where you've got huge budgets, but, you know, you want to film 3D, you know, in a 3D episode of Heroes or a 3D episode of House or 24. And if you've seen Avatar, you know what's possible. It's not just the 3D where it's, you know, basically a 2D screen and, and you know, a shark jumps out at you. Instead, now it's this whole immersive kind of world that you see. Yeah, that's so, cool. Yeah. So watching TV, you know, as all TV shows move to this and they will, it's going to be a much different experience. So that was the game changers that, OK, these cameras are out there. So like Avatar, James Cameron had to build you know, cameras to make all this work. OK, because I was wondering, how do they make these? Is it post-processing or is it, you know, as you said, uh, two cameras to get the stereo? Right. Or maybe a little or a little digital magic, probably, or maybe a combination of all of that's them. right. Yeah. And, and certainly Avatar had the added complexity of it being a lot of it being CG, right? You know, computer. Oh, I know. Yeah. So, I know they use the model of people because, of course, they resembled them. Of course. We don't want to give too much away. But yeah, but yeah, there was a lot of CG. So I guess you do some of that in 3D. And uh, so that that cool. was that so was a the consumer cool part could make their own 3D. Yes, yeah, yeah, so that, that I think could, is what you're saying. That, yeah, a consumer that's the cool could, but, part. but so could a you know oh, a, yeah. a medium budget television series that that you know isn't out there to make you know technological leaps and bounds. Mm. But just like the move to HD, you know, started many years ago, I think there will be a move to have all the TV series in 3D, and I think that I think that'll be pretty cool to be honest with you. So yeah, then, then how, uh, you know, I'm thinking the nightmare though is that. 
I, uh, so you're going to have to have different sets of channels. So they're going to have to expand the bandwidth even more. Of course. Of so course. you're going to have your yeah. standard def channels, your HD channels like you do now, and then your right. 3D channels. That's right. That's right. And stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Um, All right, so your travels, gonna, Dave. How are those? Um, or you want to blow past that? Or? You know, I want to I want to revisit. I, I was going to blow past the travel stuff, but because Pete's here, I do want to have this conversation. So we'll save some time at the end of the show to talk about uh, travel specific stuff because it's not often okay. we have Pete and I have a question that that, that, <laughs> that actually uh, is very relevant. So uh, what I'm going to do quickly here, John, is talk about our first sponsor for the show, and uh, and then and then we'll move on to your uh, your snow leopard printing thing. How's that? How's that sound? Excellent. Okay, uh, our first sponsor is Barebones uh, at barebones.com, and this week we're talking about Yojimbo. Now. Uh, and, and the reason we're talking about it is a Barebones makes it. So, you know, they're paying us for the sponsorship and, and therefore we talk about one of their products. But the other reason is I freaking love Yojimbo. I use it every day. I couldn't possibly live without it. And I don't know how I'd organize the Mac Geek Cap without it. So what is it? It is a very simple piece of software that you into which you can put all sorts of data. Now I have different categories. I can have, I can put, I can put data in and by data, I mean snippets of text, images, PDFs, audio snippets. Um, you know, I can print to it. So anything that I can print, I can just print as a PDF to Yojimbo and then I can categorize all this stuff and I can have things live in multiple categories. So for example, I have a Macworld 2010 category cause that's coming up. But then that stuff might also be in the Mac Geekab category or the TMO category or the Backbeat Media category or all three. Right. You know, and then it allows me to and I can search for the data any way I want. Uh, I can encrypt certain items. So I have all of my banking and credit card data stored in, in Yojimbo, but it's encrypted. Uh, and the only way I can unencrypt it is with a password. And then it all syncs. It syncs with MobileMe. You can also sync it with Dropbox if you want. But I sync it with MobileMe because that works best for me. And then on all three of my machines, my Yojimbo data is everywhere. So I can pop it open. I can edit it. And, uh, and then I can pop right back and I'm good to go. Yojimbo is available version 2.1 for just 39 bucks. Of course, there's a 30-day free trial you can go and download. Uh, and then you can get a family pack for 69, which I think gets you three licenses. And if you've got an older version of Yojimbo, it's only 20 bucks to upgrade. But but definitely go check it out. Uh, the thing I recommend is if you have been storing data, you know, when I started with Yojimbo, I before Yojimbo, I had a folder worth of text files that was just stuff. You know, we all store that data somewhere. We have little notes that we keep for ourselves. Take all that and just dump it into Yojimbo, and then you'll start to see how it's really going to work for you. So it's at uh, barebones.com, Yojimbo, uh, for 39 bucks US. Sweet. All right. You got a printer thing to talk about. Here we go. Two and things. So one. Yeah. So one thing. Um, battery. I took your advice, Dave. I called Apple. Oh, yeah. Um, I am out of warranty on my machine, but I do have Apple Care. And I called and basically said, you know, went through the script that we described. They said, yep, here's the battery. He's like, go to system profiler, blah, blah, blah. I didn't, you know, reveal my, you know, true nature. Sure. <laughs> and uh, at one point he's like, okay, what's your cycle count? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, what's the... Then he said something that I thought was very cool. And I did not realize this was a part of solving the problem. If you go to system profiler, and this is even true in Leopard, but also Snow Leopard. Yep. File menu send to apple yeah 
So basically, all he asked me for was my serial number. He didn't ask me for my Apple Care number, though. I'm sure he linked that. Sure. But at that point, uh, it sent my system data to him and he verified it. Oh, no. So he didn't kidding. just listen to me because, you know, I may have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. So he basically had a copy of what System Profiler did, which some people may freak out and say that's a privacy thing. You know, there's a lot of stuff sure. in there. I don't think any of it is personally identifiable except maybe for applications installed in right. the computer. Right. But I don't think any confidential data ever gets revealed. So he was able to look at the power category and say, oh, yep, that battery's shot. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Huh. Um, so I just got two batteries today. They have the, uh, you know, prepaid return labels. and. Yep. Uh, I assume they're brand spanking new. They will be. And you're gonna uh, be. You're gonna be blown away. I, I right. know. And I then, um, and then also, actually, someone. Uh, 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 and then I'll go to the printer thing. Yeah. But actually, one of our listeners actually mentioned that, and I thought it's a good point. Uh, we made a comment in the past about you know people using other people's batteries. As far as I know, the current batteries, and we should have remembered from the video we saw at MacWorld, is that Apple currently uh, manufactures the internal batteries. Right. Yeah, the the, the so built-in. So to be clear, yes. the built-in battery is is Apple, I think, created and manufactured. Um, whereas prior batteries, like mine, I mean, I saw you know it's just the it says Sony, and I think right. Sony Toshiba, you know, probably you know your usual, uh, yeah, you know, usual computer suspects. companies make them, and sometimes the cells freak out. So anyway, so they're so that made me happy that uh, they you know basically, and it said I think reason insufficient battery life was the complaint or, or the code that comes up when they had the data that I sent them. So apparently we, we all encourage you. And, and, and I've heard also on uh, through Twitter and other means, uh, snow leopard is pretty darn good about telling when your battery is in bad shape. It is with that, uh, you know, service required thing. And I said, you know, they're like, why are you calling? I'm like, because snow leopard says service required. They're like, okay, we're sending you to the do it yourself department, which is the yep. people that issue user replaceable components. And then number two, so this was a big disappointment. So over, um, over the holidays, you know, I wanted to, um, and over vacation and all that, I want to print out some new pictures and this has been something that's bugging me for a while. So I had not printed photos on my, uh, MacBook using snow leopard. So I loaded some pictures and I printed one on my HP DeskJet 990 CSE, which I think Dave, you have the identical model because HP sent it to both of us to evaluate Years the wireless ago. space station. Yeah. And it's still a good printer. Here's the bad news. So I printed something out. It looked terrible. Really? It had like, uh, so the greens that were supposed to be bright green grass were dark green. And so it was like, it was printing. Well, one, I had a problem with streaks and all that. So I had to purge the print heads. But then once everything printed out, okay, the colors just weren't right. Huh? I'm like, what is going on? This worked fine under leopard on my MacBook. What, what's different? Just to take a methodical approach to this. I printed the same picture on my G5 running leopard to the same printer. Looked Fine. Well, what can you conclude from that? Print driver and Snow Leopard sucks. You got it. <laughs> and that's the answer. So I looked at the print driver, and it is not an HP print driver. It is a Gutenprint print driver. Oh, okay. And when I went online to HP to say, yo, what's up? Because I wanted to sound Cause, cool. Because yeah, yeah. Because otherwise they they won't listen to you unless you try to be hip and try. But basically, I found a, <laughs> and basically their website said, oh, by the way, if you have a DeskJet 990 CSE, this is no longer supported under Snow Leopard. We are not going to make an HP driver for it ever. Too bad. We suggest you buy a newer printer. I'm like, 
you can't do. do this to me. Yeah. So I ranted about this on Twitter, and some people were like, well, dude, what do you expect for a 10-year-old printer? And I'm like, I expect it to work. Expect it to work. Yeah. I have a 10-year-old laser printer. It's a, it's a, a You have a GC's 10-year-old car. That still works, doesn't it? 15-year-old car, <laughs> See, dude. That's what I'm saying. And it's almost paid off, right, Chuck? <laughs> it is. Yeah. No, I got, I got just, a good loan. Just four more years. <laughs> But I have a GCC Elite laser printer. Works fine under Snow Leopard. Works great. It's a 1200 DPI laser printer. Still works great. So I'm like, oh, this is terrible. And then one of our buddies, I, I can't remember who off the top of my head. I'll try to link to him in the notes or, or uh, thank him. I think it was, was it Bart? I think it was Bart. You know what I'm talking about. Bart, uh, I forget his last Bart name. Bart Bouchard. Right? Yes. Yeah. I believe he suggested that he was ranting about the same thing on Twitter. Right. Right. And he's like, you know, my blo- HP four digit printer. Um, doesn't work. And he's like, but I tried the driver for another four digit, you know, HP. So he, he found a slightly different driver and all of a sudden his printer worked great. I'm like, wow, I wonder if I can use that trick. And as it turns out, so, so the issue is that when you are on Snow Leopard, they now designate. So when you go to uh, system preferences, yep. um, print and facts, uh, and you um, pick it uh, and then click on the printer and say printer setup under driver, when it's a Guten print, which is an open source printer, uh, you know, driver initiative, I mean, they're better than nothing, but sometimes that's what Apple has in there, especially for older printers. So I looked through the HP list and it will explicitly say it's either Guten print or cups and Guten print, which is another open source thing. And the first one that I found that was close, well, I tried another 9000 series and that didn't work because it was four digits. So then I'm like, you know, let me try. And what I tried that worked was an HP. I think 460, DeskJet 460. Okay, okay. So I basically selected that. Not only did the picture print fine because I compared it to one that I already had printed before, I also got ink levels, Dave. <laughs> really? The HP driver for this printer, even under Leopard, would not do ink levels. And this is connected to the, to the uh, airport. Wow. So it not only works under Snow Leopard, I now have more functionality and that I can now see the ink levels on the ink cartridges. Because right. we've discussed that before. It's, an, it's a driver issue. Sometimes it just doesn't... Uh, apparently, this old legacy driver is better than the one they had in Leopard. So, so, so to be clear, story. this legacy driver, yes. you, you installed from somewhere else, correct? Oh, no, no, no. It okay. was included. Uh, okay. No. So, yeah, to be clear, um, this driver was listed. Um, in Snow Leopard. In Snow Leopard, but it was listed as not. Uh, so if it's uh, one of the open source drivers, Got after it. the printer name, it has cups plus Gutenprint or Gutenprint. Got it. This one just said HP DeskJet, and I'll, and I'll okay. get the model number. Yeah, yeah. it was just the, the I'm generic. Sorry, HP it- DeskJet 460 series, and that's all it said. Got it. So the reason I picked that is because I knew that is an HP supply driver and not a open source driver. Correct. Okay, so, so the here's, was the, for me- here's the mm-hmm. thing. I, I've yeah. had this same problem with uh, my HP laser printer here, and I got it working, you know, no problem. And it worked before, but again, it was the same sort of thing. And then as soon as I went, now I had gone to HP's site to download their driver, right? And I installed it and then everything worked the way I wanted it to until software update ran and said, we have an HP printer driver update for you. So if you sounds great, yeah, (laughs) if you jump through these hoops, don't let the HP printer driver update. Now, in your case, that might be different, John, because you're using a driver 
that was baked into Snow Leopard, whereas I was yes. I pulled something in from outside. So I'm hoping now they could be jerks and replace it with one that says because uh, mm. right now it's dumb enough to say I think I'm talking to an HB 460. Right. It, it seems to you know respond to what I say. That's true. You know I wouldn't. And do- I'm getting ink levels, and that's the exciting thing. Was now the first time it, it, that I've ever used this machine, Dave. When the ink levels get low, because one of my cartridges is low, yeah. you see a yellow button. Yeah. You've seen this, a caution that your supplies are getting low. So I'm like, so that surprised me that the older driver does more. So you may want to update yours. (laughs) If you still have that printer. I don't don't know what you use it for I do. Actually, it's sitting in the house. I, I, yeah, I I think we've printed to it, but only, you know, web pages and things that the color doesn't matter. We haven't printed pictures to it. So I'll I'll bear that. That's my photo printer. So it it prints very nice photos. One last time, which driver is it? If you have it right in front of you. Uh, it's the HP DeskJet 460 series. 460. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> that's good. Thanks, man. And now you know how much ink you have left before you have to yeah, that's spend the, another wad of dough on another handy. expensive ink cartridge. Well, that's the thing. You know, you might as well. I guess the next time I run out of ink, I might as well just buy a new printer. I think it's cheaper. <laughs> uh, all right. So we're going slowly around the horn here tonight. Uh, Pete, yeah, you had let's, let's move. not one, but two, two Mac issues, issues today. today. Yeah. So uh, the first one that you had is actually the quick solution, but but talk about what you did, well, what I, what your cousin, I guess, did. Yeah, uh, my nephew, yeah. Nephew, I, get, okay. I was sitting there today, and I got a text message going, uh, hey, Uncle Pete, I uh, stuck my uh, one of those mini DVDs in my MacBook, and now I can't get it out. <laughs> yeah, so there's these oh, little, what? like the little three-inch yeah, 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 three yeah, DVD. Three, three and a half inch, whatever it is, whatever, yeah, yep. small. Yep. And I'm like, oh. Dude, I said, all right. He I did said, what? Yeah, I, I couldn't believe he did. You know, because, you know, if it's a drawer, that's one thing. It slides out, it goes in. But to stick it in that slot and hope it lines up and works, I'm just thinking, oh, man. Because well, it actually worked, but then he couldn't get it out. I'll say, Pete, uh, I will agree with him. A properly designed product should not allow that. Yeah. I'm, I'm well, trying to think like Steve now, is that if you don't want me to put in a... Uh, no, that that's a big problem with it, because, yeah, of course, yeah. the, you know... Tray-based ones take that no problem, but... Exactly. So what I did is I, uh, I said, all right, well, uh, first thing I said, do you do you have a credit... He's a freshman in college. Do you have a credit card, I asked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or something like one. And then I would try to ask Dave in the interim, but uh, he came back and said, yeah, I do. I said, all right, well, here's, here's what you need to do. You need to slide that credit card in there and try to eject it. And you can either use the eject button or go into disk utility and try it that way or reboot the machine and hold down the, the mouse button right. while, it, while it's going. And that should send the eject signal. And uh, about 10 minutes later, uh, he texted me back. He goes, oh, sweet, it worked. So <clears throat> um, I had a warped DVD that I brought back uh, from uh, overseas one time, and uh, it, it wouldn't come out either. And I tried that uh, many, many months ago. You slide that credit card in there, and uh, it helps guide it right out. I believe... Huh. You want it on top. I think the the thing the issue is it's getting uh, jammed on top. So you want that card to be over the top of it, right? To help okay. guide it out the slot. So that's what wow. I think was okay. Going. Initially, I thought you were going to charge him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need your credit card, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Always support. get payment before offering the solution. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. That's good. But but Pete, you actually mentioned something that I had to use the other day. Uh, I was running some Apple hardware test stuff. Holding down the mouse button when you boot the machine will eject anything in the DVD drive, and that sometimes is necessary if uh, right. for whatever reason. Right. And the other caution I gave him was do not lose the credit card 
in that slot, it will oh, void your warranty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, until yeah. the tech finds it, then he's going to be like, that's yeah. Right. That's right. <laughs> ain't going uh, nowhere far on it. Th- there you, is, Parker. and I've been searching online for one and I can't find it, so maybe they don't exist, but there used to be adapters because I used to get those mini CDs Right. Uh, you know, when I would get like CD singles or whatever, you know, when I was a kid, oh, yeah. not quite a kid, but, you know, in my late teens, I guess was when those came out. But uh, but and, and it would work fine for the mini DVDs, too. It's essentially a little adapter piece of circular plastic that has a hole in the middle and you pop the mini DVD in the middle and then it's a full size DVD that you could put in your machine and not get stuck. So that's how you get those in there. Or you use a tray loading DVD drive. And you'll see the tray will have a little indent uh, in the middle of it where that mini disc will yeah. sit. So that that's how you do those uh, if you don't want to have to jump through. Yeah, put in that tray loading one. Break the digital Millennium Copyright Act. Copy right. the dang thing to a yeah. bigger one and <laughs> yeah, and be done with the stupid yeah. mess. Yeah. All right. So then you had then you had an issue which strangely enough had was a question. exactly like a question that we didn't prep for the show. So I'm I'm finishing up dinner, Pete, and you call me on my cell phone. And you ask me the, the question and tell me what the problem, tell me what the problem was. And then we'll talk about my your son's solution. MacBook. He's trying to get on and, and uh, go to the uh, high school website where they post grades and assignments and that sort of thing. And there's also his he uses Gmail to, as a client to access his email account. And he can go to any website except his Gmail account, and he can't get to his high school account. I'm going, what's going on here? What's the common denominator? So I tried it in Firefox. I tried it in Safari. I even tried it in SeaMonkey, and all three browsers, it wouldn't do it. Then I looked. I mean, you know, go to Yahoo? Yeah, fine. Go to Google? Fine. The, so the, the common denominator there was then it wouldn't make an SSL connection. It would not secure. And so that's when I called you, and I said, look, I've tried. I've looked at my firewall. I've looked at security. I can't think what's going on. And you mentioned go to this question, and so I went in and looked in the books, and one of the four items that John prepped on it was mm. parental controls. And I went, bingo, I've been in the parental controls on his machine. And so I went in there and looked, and the funny thing is, you go into uh, system preferences and then turn and then go into parental controls, and of course you're going to have to uh, turn on parental controls if, if uh, it isn't all ready to see this, but, but uh, once you've done that, the content tab has three options. Uh, you, well, four, actually. You can hide profanity in the dictionary. So, <laughs> all right. But uh, down down below, it says website restrictions. And it says allow unrestricted access to websites. Mm. The other one is try to limit access to adult websites automatically. And then there's a customize tab. And then allow access to only these websites is your third one. So when you type that or hit that, I'm assuming you get... They get to go in. Well, I had tried to limit access to adult websites automatically. I had gone in and customized, and I had specifically authorized both Gmail and his high school website to work. Yep. But in both cases, hmm. you know, and then, so I took those out of there. I went, all right, it's seeing them as not allowing it or something. Because there's two windows there, allow this, don't allow. But as soon as I went back to allow unrestricted access to websites, it worked perfectly. And so, for whatever reason, even though I've allowed mail.google.com, it was not let in. I tried it with and without the S and mm. with and without the www and all, and it just wasn't working. So, my solution there is go back to OpenDNS to control your, your kids' access if, if that's a better solution. Right, right. Here. So, I still am using this, the parental controls for his time limits on the machine. But, uh, uh, 
Bed sheets thing. these days. Yeah. But then there was the other one in there that, that I had a question about, actually, that John had gone with, was the um, uh, the keychain. John, what was you? What were you? What path were you heading down there? Because I well, Kevin. Uh, so here is the issue that Kevin had. Um, so Kevin had an issue where he could not access HTTPS sites. Any of them. Right. It would come up and say Safari says can't open page because it can't establish a secure connection. So to me, what that message indicates is that it can can communicate with the site. It's not like site not found. It's just when it tries to do right, the, error the I security got was dance. Data transfer interrupted. It communicated with oh. the site and interrupted data transfer. All right, that sounds like a yeah. That's, more, that's, yeah, uh, you're going to see a off. different message with the parental. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so yeah. saying can't establish a secure connection to me means it started to communicate with it, tried to negotiate a security protocol, and then for some reason somebody said, uh, "I can't do this." Um, and, and some of the suggestions quickly that I have in, in, in that vein were when you establish a secure connection, you typically use something on your on your computer and the other computer called a certificate, and they have to match up. I'm not going to get into what a certificate is. We've talked about this before, but it's basically a block of data where if you have one version and a remote website has the complementary piece, you're assured that your communication is secure. And I, I think that's, that's fairly accurate. The problem is if one of those pieces gets screwed up, either corrupted on your machine or perhaps, and I've seen this a lot of times on, on, on various commerce sites, which kind of disturbs me, is certificates have a lifetime and they can expire. So what will happen is you'll try to connect to a website like your bank or someone and it'll say, oh, their security certificate, which I get, you got to pay a recurring fee yeah. to maintain these. We have one. Um, and they, they have a lifetime because uh, that's good security practice. You don't want it to be valid for 100 years. You want it to be valid maybe for a year or two. The problem is if you don't pay the fee, then it, it, the date on it is before it you know, expires. And then the browser, when you go to it, says, it's expired. Do you want to connect to it anyways? And usually you can say yes, which in and of itself is probably <laughs> not great practice saying, well, this site is warning you something's wrong. Do you want to continue anyways? Yeah, sure, whatever. But, you know, same things with Windows sign drivers and all that fun stuff. So anyways, um, that's one thing. And then uh, uh, you may want to look in your keychain uh, utility because certs are stored in your keychain and your keychain may be corrupted or screwed up. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's keychain first aid, I think it's called, or some repair utility in the keychain. So if you're having connect, connection issues with secure sites, maybe you got to fix your keychain. Can't hurt. And then the other thing is, uh, though it's kind of buried in the midst of time here, uh, I don't use proxy servers days. Uh, a proxy oh. server is kind of a go-between. But in OS ten, there is a way to set a proxy server. Usually if you go to your network interface, click on advanced, and then it'll list, I think, proxy. And it'll list the number of protocols. Um, in the old days, what happens is that you had to go to a certain machine to get out to the big wide world. Um, if, for some reason, your proxy is set, and it shouldn't be, your compute, and there is a way to say, okay, if you're doing HTTPS or a secure website, go to this IP address to ask for permission to get out. Um, if that's set, then you'll see the same behavior. Okay. Okay. Right, but but I haven't used a proxy server in ages. I know uh, uh, we have to use one for work, and they use their own homegrown generated certificate, so they don't pay the fee. But well, it's a local. But then it yeah, gives you a warning it's saying land. it's, it's a right. locally signed certificate. That's right. And it's and you like, do you trust this? It. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Or they so um, cool. So, but you know, I I hate proxy servers because when 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 I place eventually. You know, I, I I was there before. They had a T1 line. When they got a T1 line, what they did, yeah, they had a proxy server. The problem is everybody dogpiles on the proxy machine, and it's a right. bottleneck unless you give it enough oomph. 
right. or bandwidth. I, I don't like proxy service. There are better ways to do that through you know DNS and other things. That's just my opinion, though, or through the router. Don't make your users have to configure their software to get out to the world. Just yeah, just that's do right. It right. Yeah. All right. So okay. I have two things to add to that. One, oh is, well, one is just a clarification in keychain access, which is found in applications utilities. Uh, as of Leopard, the keychain first aid uh, utility is actually baked into it. So you go open up keychain oh, okay. access. It was a separate utility before. It was. Yep. Okay. You go to keychain access menu. Uh, which is just the one to the right of the Apple menu, and then uh, choose Keychain First Aid from there. Then at that point, you can you can do the repairs you need. One other thing I'll point out, as you were mentioning, John, that uh, these Keychain certificates, sorry, not the Keychain certificates, but any certificate can expire uh, if the date on your computer is yes. <laughs> wrong it's possible that all of you know in kevin's problem here you know he says none of the sites he, he can he tries uh work it's possible you know i know our computers set the dates automatically and all that so we don't even think about it but if something has gone wrong there and his date is you know even a year in the future he's going to have all kinds of problems so so check the date that that would be the one thing i would i would add oh right <clears throat> right uh, the date on your computer you never know if it's, if it, yeah, if your computer thinks it's later, oh, I like that. I don't know why that happened. If anything, yeah. I usually see computers refer to the, uh, the, the epoch as we that's call right. it, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, thinking it's 1970 or something like that. So, <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Uh, <sighs> we, in, in show 234, uh, we talked about a couple of different ways that a user, and I forget his name, uh, could get to the calculator very, very quickly. And the one thing that we missed, uh, and we actually there were a couple of things, but he wanted it up front. I think at all times he wanted the calculator right there because right. he was doing spreadsheet work and stuff like that. And and we we made some suggestions, but I think we got some better ones. Well, we got we got more. That's right. So uh, both, maybe not better, just more. <laughs> yeah, uh, many people, including Alexander and David and and a couple others, uh, said that uh, the calculator widget in the dashboard is the only calculator they use. And of course, that's just one little one little click. Or uh, I'm told you can use F3 to get to the uh, to the dashboard. Is that have you have you done that successfully, John? Or maybe you can maybe you can set that in expose, right? I think that's the um, trick. F4 on my MacBook will go to dashboard. OK, F4. OK. All right. That's right. Yeah. F4 on mine is what pulls it up. There you go. Thank you. So so there you go. That's one click access. Um and then, uh, you know, I'm actually going to play this audio comment because it uh, it talks about something very cool that you can do with the dashboard where you don't even have to pull it up. Hi there, guys. Uh, love the show. Long time listener, first time caller. Uh, calling in about episode 234 and the gentleman who works with spreadsheets and needs a calendar to stay on top or not a calendar, but a calculator. Uh, one thing that I thought of was if you use Onyx, which I think most everybody does, go to the dashboard uh, section and set developer mode on. Uh, with that, you can use the simple provided Mac OS X uh, calculator in dashboard. And when you hold down a click of the mouse on the, ca on the calculator and also F12, it will then drop the calculator onto the desktop and it will always be floating on top of anything you use. No need to pay for any software and it works great. I uh, just thought I'd drop a line. 
Take care. Bye-bye. And very cool. Thank you. Uh, and so that was uh, Mr. X, but not the real Mr. X. Another Mr. X. That's yeah. right. And actually, that's I mean, a good... I've heard about that secret developer mode that... Yeah, because I guess all developers need an electronic calculator, too. No, no, no. The developers need to have their dashboard widget up while they're in Xcode, and they don't want to have to switch back and forth to the dashboard to test their widgets. Yeah, so no, that's, no. that's why that developer mode exists. You knew that. You were just making fun or yeah and i didn't yes. i didn't get the joke yeah. all right uh but the real mr x called in about uh, a different topic that we discussed last week that was ntfs hey this is mr x again <clears throat> um just wanted to say uh if you ever expect you might be uh working on other people's computers and, and you can possibly avoid it you might not want to make your mac uh open ntfs files as read write um the the, what happened to me one time was I was working on somebody's computer. Uh, it was a win, and it was a Windows computer. Their computer wasn't booting up; it was giving you a blue screen of death. Um, I put a new Ubuntu disk into the machine and was able to see all the, all the files on the um, on the hard drive because it didn't mount the drive as read write; it just mounted it as read only. But I wasn't able to copy anything off. I connected it to my Windows PC laptop that I had at the time. And even even plugging it in as an external drive, plugging it into my Windows laptop would cause my Windows laptop to blue screen. So I took it home, put it on my uh, Power Mac that I had, and was able to copy everything over to uh, an HFS drive, burn it to a DVD, and then put the drive back into the machine and put Windows back on it. So apparently there are certain data structures on an NTFS drive, and if... Uh, you know what? I uh, I blew that because I, I started moving my mouse m- mouse around. But <clears throat> suffice to say, I thought he remounted his NTFS drive. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I shouldn't have stored that audio comment on an NTFS drive. Uh, but John, you said you've run into this, right? Well, I have too. So um, and and it'll go on a little uh, another contributor. Um, and I think you saw my note about this, Allison. Yep. Um. Uh, at Nosilicast, uh basically wrote me because I guess I was lucky enough to figure out a problem with her uh, when we were on, uh, on her machine when we were at Blogworld. So she's having problems where she's getting hard lockups. And by a hard lockup, yeah. what I'm going to what I'm talking about is if you have the clock running in the, in the menu bar and you do seconds, the clock stops. To right. me, if your clock stops in the upper right hand corner, in addition to some other signs, that means your machine is is having a really bad bad time of it on a hardware level in that it's wedged it's stuck it's not going anywhere and usually when you see that you'll also probably notice that you don't have a cursor and right. nothing else is responding the, the you can't alt tab uh, or control tab or command tab or whatever the heck it is you know it's one of those try them all <laughs> anyways um and that's what happened so i was speculating to her it could be and then she asked me could it be my hard drive and the thing i reflect on is that so I just did the read-write NTFS thing on an external drive I just got as an okay. extra, just to play around with it. And I've noticed ever since I've made my NTFS drive through the method we talked about, which is changing the uh, mount NTFS command, Yep. Uh, I got a hard lockup probably the first time ever in using Snow Leopard. Uh, and the, the machine, my MacBook was wedged. Huh. And I'm going to say uh, the correlation between those two events was pretty high, so I'm going to yeah. say... When you and I were pontificating about why uh, running in TFS and read write is is something you can do but should not, why shouldn't you? I think this is the reason. I, yeah. I suspect the implementation, whether it's Apple or somebody else, is unreliable. So 
Yeah. If you're going to do NTF, NTFS right, either get something. I've had better luck uh, in no hard locks with uh, NTFS 3G, or I think, is it, uh, who's the other vendor that makes it? The, the, there's a vendor. We'll, we'll find it. Because okay. He, maybe you got it. Uh, yeah, I forget. Yeah. All right. But, but we have it. We have put it in the show, show. Yeah. So anyways, NTFS built into OS 10. Uh, be careful. And, and just a general caution when, especially when we talk about doing things with your machine that, you know, always exercise caution in this case. I mean, we, we, we like geeking out. I liked geeking out, but it turned out it, it, it caused me some inconvenience. And, and we certainly don't want to reduce the number of <laughs> working computers out there. That's right. Ones that our listeners are using. So there's, there's so, Mac, um, Mac Fuse and Paragon software. And Paragon. Then, and then is. there's okay. also one called uh, Tuxera, which has NTFS for Mac. So Excellent. The, and Mac Fuse, I think, is NTFS 3G, though Mac Fuse okay. is a platform that allows plugins of Got which it. NTFS 3G is one of them. But yeah, so I haven't heard any bad things from people about any of those. Uh, I would say NTFS 3G Mac Fuse is that's open source. So, you know, it's not a commercial product and the Paragon guys, um, we've got some very good right. feedback from a lot of the listeners. So, right. Um, if you want reliable NTFS writing on a Mac, which on the one hand, why would you even want to do that? But if you need to, uh, I think that's the best choice. Is, is my uh, conclusion at this point. Cool. All right. Uh, there, there's a couple of cool things found that uh, that we can we can squeeze into the show here. Um, John, uh, Randy wrote in, and I'm finding Randy's email here. Randy said, you mentioned some pref apps uh, on the re- most recent show. This is the best one I've ever run across, and it's called Pref Setter. Uh, it is a P-list editor, which allows you to edit preferences, but uh, it, and it will allow you to edit any P-list file, but it's really geared toward, this one is geared toward editing preference P-list, and it allows you to search your preferences and also shows you what's in there <clears throat> and gives you the ability to edit some of the settings that might not uh, be apparent when you're when you're mm-hmm. out there with, with other things. The cool part was I just happened to open the Finder one right, and I also checked the Doc one. Uh, it gave me as soon as I opened the file, it gave me a little button at the top that said quit and relaunch doc or quit and relaunch finder. So it was smart enough to know that after I finish editing this file, I need to relaunch these apps that are running so that they take advantage of these new settings that I put in. This is for, uh, you know, not for the faint at heart. You can definitely screw things up with this. There's nothing to stop you from completely ruining things. So, uh, you know, use with caution, but that's, uh, that's pref setter. So thanks Randy. Yeah, I'd say looking at prep files is probably a good first step. Yes. Uh, re writing to them. Uh, that's where you got to put on the propeller beanie or as you said Dave make a backup or something. Yeah, yeah, big time. Um and, and my favorite is still the, you know, the one included with the developer tools, but not everybody is uh, into installing Xcode. Right, right, to right. To me that one is at least as well this looks uh, I'm I I just uh, downloaded and installed it and uh, this actually looks to have a uh, uh, different and i'll figure out why but a different and and i uh, well no actually it categorizes things i like yeah. that so yeah, nice, yeah. And, uh, i think a nicer interface because i think the apple one is is kind of bare bones that's it right just lets you edit and view that's right all okay, right mark else? mark wrote in last week we were talking about finding uh the ip addresses of all the devices that existed on our networks and mark said i've 
just found a neat and simple iPhone app called SNAP, Snap, which does it cleanly and fast. It's a dollar ninety nine. Uh, I checked it out. And sure enough, it, it does. You just launch the thing. And then as you kind of drill down onto the devices, it shows you what services those devices have open. So, you know, if you go to your router, it's going to show, you know, DNS and web and, it, you know, it'll it'll give you kind of an idea of, of what's going on in the network. So, Mark, thank you. Mark also mentioned a Mac program called Flame, uh, which we'll also link to, but it only shows you Bonjour devices. So it's only going to show you devices that are advertising services. If you're looking for a printer or something like that, it's going to show up. But if you're trying to find a computer that's just out there, it may not uh, appear. So thank you, Mark. That's uh, that's very cool. I'm looking at the time. I definitely want to go through this travel thing while we've got. Uh, oh, I like what here. you said before, though. But, but yeah, let's Marcus? let's talk about Marcus. OK, I think we can uh, we'll see let's, if we can. Let's we'll see if push we can each other blaze through this. That's right. Um, OK, so. Marcus writes, my wife and I recently bought a new 27-inch iMac. We want to set up two user accounts on this machine because we each want to set up mail for our own individual email accounts and because we each have our own bookmarks in Safari and our own iGoogle pages. However, we'd really like to use the same address book, iCal, iPhoto, and iTunes. Is there a way for both of us to have the same access to these but still have two separate user accounts so as to keep our email and bookmarks separate? We both also have iPhones which we'd like to sync with our own email accounts and Safari bookmarks. The address book and iCal would be the same on both iPhones. And we'd like to sync iPhoto and iTunes content as we each see fit. Does this complicate things a bit more? And one more thing. <laughs> one final question. Is there a way to do fast user switching without having to enter a password every time as we switch accounts? I mean, we trust each other. Okay. Uh, I'm going to throw out my uh, my things here, and then I think you've got some specific instructions uh, for. Them. Should I start or uh, okay? No, give actually uh, giving your view is probably a good start. Yes, yeah, I'll give the general stuff, and then okay. So here's my thoughts for iPhoto and iTunes. It's fairly straightforward to set up one location for each library, and then point each user's account. Uh, to that library only. And John, you're going to go through the the specifics of how to do this. Mm. Uh, the caveat here is that you can only have one copy of iTunes actively accessing that library at a time and, and, and iPhoto without potentially opening yourself up to catastrophic damage. So, uh, you know, if you're going to do the fast user switching thing, you need to be very careful uh, to make sure that you quit iPhoto and iTunes on one side before switching over to the other. Uh, but that will work. And, while it's possible to do the same thing with address book and iCal, I don't recommend it. The reason is, unless you're going to disable fast user switching, and the reason is there are many apps like Mail, uh, but others as well, that use the address book and iCal data in a very live sense. So if you've got two active copies pointing at this, I don't know what's going to happen. It, it might just work fine and it might be totally seamless. Uh, but at the same point, it might not be. My advice uh, would be to use either MobileMe or Google as as kind of the cloud-based sync engine to sync your separate copies of your address books and calendars uh, with each other. And and that's going to be a, a safer way to go. And then the cool part is you can, you know, sync that down to your phones. So um and and then I'll I'll throw in the answer to the fast user question switching, which is uh, remove the passwords from the accounts, and and the fast user switching should work without asking. Oh, that's what, that's what I do at the house with the kids, and it works fine. 
So you've got okay, some I would specifics. say from a security standpoint. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, if you if it's a yeah household thing, then yeah, that's cool. So yeah. so I dug into this too, uh, responding to the possibility of doing any of this. And here's the how to specifically do this. So both iPhoto and iTunes, at least on Mac, perhaps not on Windows, which have bugged me because it was part of another question that we got. I couldn't find an answer on Windows, uh, at least not same as the Mac. If you launch either iPhoto or iTunes, hold down option. Ah, option. And if you hold down option, what happens is you'll be asked, what library would you like? You can choose the current library or you could create another one or you could point at another one. Right. So I would say both iPhoto and iTunes are pretty straightforward unless as you with any of these, as you pointed out, Dave, uh, if it's on a single machine, then I think you're cool. Yeah. If you're on multiple machines, then it gets kind of tricky. It's possible on a network share drive, I would think uh, it would be the best approach. But anyways, uh, both iPhoto and iTunes will let you select the library or, or through their preferences. But that's the quickest way is holding an option. I, I'm going to interrupt go. here because Pete Please. points out a very valid piece of data. Uh, if you have this stuff on the local drive, permissions start to get in your way. Uh, so even if Good you point. store it in the shared folder inside the <clears throat> user's folder, uh, things can still get funky. So if possible, storing this right. on an external drive with permissioning turned off will completely eliminate. Right. And uh, and uh, thank you, Pete. For yeah, that's where that mine's okay. on a NAS drive. That's where that's good. And actually, uh, yeah. NAS being network attack, bleh, network attached storage. That's right. For you to say. For a network drive. <laughs> it's harder to talk after an hour. You know, we, we can only drink so much water while we're doing this. So uh, Yeah, water. Yeah. Is that what that is? Um, that's, hey, that's water today. <laughs> well, no, that's a good one, Dave. Or the other approach, and I think we, we actually had another uh, uh, listener write in, you go to the folders and you set the access for everybody. So even though you have user accounts, yeah, set, uh, set an admin account and say, okay, these folders, the, the music folder and the document, right. whatever folders where you want to share the data... Everybody gets to play in that. That's true. And, you, and that way you don't have to cop out with permissions. Uh, it's, you know, it's a little yeah, it's advanced. Yeah, that's uh, I true. wouldn't recommend it for the newbie, but I think for the people that listen to this show, I think that that's something I think they, they can handle. Yeah. So yeah. iCal, uh, to wrap it up, iCal, if you go to preferences, that also has an account setting and you can choose your iCal account and address book as well. If you go into address book, preferences, accounts, it lists the accounts that you can sync that computer with. Or that account with, and that that can be with Mobile Me, Yahoo, or Google. From what I saw in yeah. Address Book, which I did not know this because I use Mobile Me. Yeah, I just renewed my membership. I still like Mobile Me, just because yeah. it's Apple, and I, I know they have their hiccups, but hey. Yeah, so here Pete's pointing out that the simple answer is just go out and buy BusyCal. It's what forty bucks, yeah. and uh-huh. and then you can share. You could have both copies open on both sides. It'll see no. them, at, you know, over the LAN and give you read write access back and forth. So much better. And then if you also want to sync it up to Google, you can. But but that's oh, that's the uh, answer. Oh, we do. And the cool thing is with BusyCal, if I put something in on my iPhone, it shows up on her iPhone, on her BusyCal, yeah. on the Google Calendar. It's it's magic. Yeah, it's complete. As so it should it's be. cool. Oh yeah. So yeah. BusyCal is a iCal replacement. Yes, and and okay. if you could throw away iCal once you get BusyCal, <laughs> you're better off. So. Or if you were Apple, 
you you would probably buy BusyCal and just you know Apple's been so freaking stupid with iCal since the day they released it. I don't tell us how you feel. I don't think they're smart enough to realize that they should buy it because they haven't bothered to fix iCal and make it usable by anybody that's doing more Mm -hmm. than very simple things. I'm not saying that you are a simpleton if you use iCal. I'm just saying that you better not because I I use it for yourself. Yeah. As soon as you there is there are walls at at which iCal's functionality totally crumbles. And uh, and they're not right. (laughs) Yeah. Sharing calendars, tasks, anything. I got to say, I got to say in their defense is that the uh, the Snow Leopard exchange server Mm -hmm. integration, which I use because in the workplace we have exchange server and both the connectivity through the Apple programs, which would include address book, iCal, and uh, and mail, yep. to Exchange Server, as well as the iPod Touch or iPhone, of course, they did a pretty good job. I, I yeah, no, you're right. You're right. To use my iPod Touch to check my work email rather than firing up either my Windows machine or even my Mac with Entourage, yeah, because it's just the quickest way. And they did a nice job of both that and VPN on the iPod Touch or, or uh, so, yeah. The, yeah. the, that's my feedback is that the, the programs. Yeah. Well, yeah, I uh, uh, Yeah. So I'll say they enhanced it, but it's still yeah, it pales sucks. in comparison to busy Cal. So Apple, come on, man, pick them up. Yeah. They got the cash, right? Oh yeah. It'd be great. I'm sure. I'm sure the busy Cal guys would be happy to sell for the right price. And, and I know Apple wouldn't kill the product off because it's way better than iCal. They just nope. replace it. So that speaking that, of yeah. cash, Dave, I do believe that Apple is having a earnings call. They are, but soon. we're not going to talk about that because we don't really have time. Good. And I want to do this. We have no time. Thing. We got Oh, we have more stuff. Yeah. Like I said, cause Pete's here. I, I want to oh, have go. this quick travel conversation. So, uh, this was the, th- there's two things. This one, the first one's not for Pete, but I might as well mention it anyway. Uh, this was the first time coming back from Las Vegas. I was able to, when I went to check in on American, I went to check in online and I had three options. Print your boarding pass, email it as a PDF so you can print it later or email it to your phone uh, so you can, so you have an electronic boarding pass on your mobile device. So I thought, well, that's great. I don't have a printer in my hotel room, so this is what I'm going to do. An electronic boarding pass. It sends it sends a picture to actually it sends you a, an email link, which you then open up in your, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on the uh, in Safari on your phone. And then it it, it show it has two uh, what they you know, those 3D barcodes actually I had one for each flight. So it, it I, gave me I'm going to guess it's probably a 2D barcode. Sorry, a probably, 2D, 2D barcode. Probably a data matrix or PDF 417, but yes. So the barcode that you typically get on the boarding pass that you print out yourself or the agent gives you mm-hmm. is on your, your device. Correct. And it's a on little bit, it looks okay. a little bit different, but, uh, but yes, it it's there. And, and so I got to the security counter and I'm thinking, Oh, you know what, what's going to happen, you know? And sure enough, our uh, our agent from the troop of security actors uh, asked me to take my phone and put it up against this uh, IR reader, you know, barcode scanner, not IR, but, you know, the little the, the red light barcode scanner. So I put yeah, it up laser there. barcode scanner. Oh, and it scanned it from the. Yeah, well, that's it unusual. scanned it right on my phone. Of course, as I put my thing, as I put my phone up there, the picture rotated and got really small and it didn't work. And so what yeah. I here's what I recommend you do. You make that barcode real big on your screen by stretching it out Mm -hmm. and then take a screenshot of it. 
and use that screenshot as the thing that you hold up to security. So that way, if it rotates, it still stays basically the same size and it works fine. Uh, so it worked. It, you know, they let me through once I got it the right size. That's, that's nice because they're, you know, in my opinion, they're pushing it because I've done a little barcode work and yep. they only have a limited amount of real estate. And the problem is certain parts of the barcode have to be a certain size for their scanners, whether yeah. it be laser yeah. or imagers. The newer ones use a camera, actually, a digital camera, a little uh, baby digital camera. Okay. Um, it may still be a red light, but they just use that for illumination. But the thing is, they may be actually taking a picture. But the problem is, no. if the resolution of the barcode is too crummy, yeah, in that it's not enough DPI or resolution or whatever, then yeah. it's going to fail. And then right. it's that's why doing it on a, I would say for the most part, although it sounds awesome for convenience. Um, it, there were quite a few people in the security line oh, with me really? that did it this okay. way. Yep. And did they all? I mean, were yep. there any? you know, hiccups and that they're uh, like, Oh, can't scan it. Can't scan it. Because I've seen that occasionally with paper ones. I mean, if you had it in your pocket or you crumpled it up or you, whatever, you know, I mean, if, if, if the paper you printed on is, you know, all, all messed up, then yeah, you're not going to scan yeah. the barcode. No, so mine was the, mine was the only one that had any problems uh, because it, oh, it got okay. small, but like I said, cool. if it, I highly recommend take a snapshot and also crank up your brightness. Now, of course, here's the trick. I got to the gate and I handed my iPhone to the guy to, you know, scan as I got on the plane. He's like, oh, yeah, that doesn't work here at the gate. You need a paper one. <laughs> so uh, I was going to say you were very generous to hand the guy your iPhone. Uh, you know, but he <laughs> let me on the plane. He's like, what's your last name? And he checked me in. OK, so now here's the uh, here's the thing I want to talk about. And this is Mac related. I've been doing a lot of traveling lately and I've been really trying to do two things. One, not check any bags, because especially returning at Boston's Logan Airport it's a 20 plus minute wait for your luggage. And I just don't have that time kind of time to kill when I get off the plane. I just want to go home. Yeah, But then you got the whole carry on. It's fine. I I haven't had any issues with, with security in terms of the carry on, but it does limit my space. Number two, I've been trying to, uh, to um, limit myself to one carry on, which means not a suitcase and a laptop bag, but just a suitcase that I put my laptop in. And I did that this time. Uh, and, and what I did for my laptop was I used a very thin uh, sleeve that I could use as a backpack also for my laptop. But I just put the laptop in the sleeve and I put that in, in my suitcase so I could easily pull it out and, and go through security. So that part was fine. I had heard, but, but I wanted the biggest, the, the, the largest, uh, amount of carry on that I could get because I know I'm putting my laptop in and I also need clothing and you know all that stuff for a couple of days. Uh, so I'd heard a lot of people raving about these Tom bin bags, especially the aeronaut because it's the maximum size carry on. But it was th- these Tom bin bags are, are uh, that they, they aren't wheeled. Right. And I thought, well, you know, there's so many, so many, you know, road warriors that just rave about these things. I might as well try it. So I wound up trying uh, the LLB equivalent, but it's basically Basically the same bag. I know if there's road warriors out there that know the differences between the two, you're going to tell me they're not the same. And you're right. But essentially, these are a duffel bag uh, that is dimension wise, the biggest carry on that you can get. And uh, because it's a duffel bag, it's very light and the sides are very thin. So you can fit as much luggage as possible. So I did that and it worked, but it sucked at not having the ability to put this thing on wheels. So I'm, I'm trying another option. Casemate actually has uh, the LLR two, two, two that's LLR hyphen two, 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 
which is actually a wheeled bag that's built to do exactly what I want, including its own little laptop sleeve that's security friendly. Uh, so I'm going to try that for one of my next trips. I don't know if I'm going to be able to uh, go to Macworld with just one carry on bag. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure I won't. Uh, I'm probably going to have to check stuff there, but uh, but otherwise, I'm I'm really getting away from this whole checking luggage thing. It's just it become a fiasco. You know, another option. But yeah, so this is, is what I want to do here. Not as expensive uh, as it used to be compared to the fact that, well, you've probably got platinum miles and such, so you aren't paying the bag fee. I'm not bag paying bag fees, fees right. Yeah, okay, so it is still more expensive, but is to uh, FedEx your bags oh, yeah. ahead of yourself a lot of people. We are yeah. seeing so many and, pieces of luggage checked. And, and sent ahead. That huh? I might do yeah. for Macworld People Expo. shipped it? Absolutely. People ship yeah. their luggage all the time now. Yeah. And it's um, Because, you know, I remember, I remember trade shows have passed. And it's it's more reliable. <laughs> so, I, I, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too yeah. far off on a tangent yeah, sure. here, I, though I'm sure we will. I have a mini. It's late. Um, but before before we go on, the, well, we'll we'll go there. But before we go there, I want to ask Pete, you travel a ton, and I know you yeah. can't check bags very often. Almost never. Yeah. Almost never. So what do you do? Uh, mine's a pretty neat thing. It's P-U-R-D-Y space N-E-A-T things, T-I-N-G-S. Okay. And, and um, now it's a heavier bag. It's a metal okay. frame, soft side, metal external frame, soft-sided, and, uh, and they're a little expensive, but they're canvas, and they last Forever, and okay. you can send them in for refurb. I'm on my uh, second bag in 15 years, and that's only because I was uh, too smart by half, and I went out and got myself uh, a new Samsonite or something like that, which I trashed in about 18 months, and I went right back to pretty neat things. Okay, and and I love that bag. It it's got smooth wheels, soft foam grips, lifetime warranties on the zippers. Um, and it, you pay for it, but it's and there. I think it's the twenty two. Twenty two. That's the that's is, the biggest you're yeah, gonna get. And yeah, you'll see. Uh, you will see ninety five percent of your air crews hauling around a pretty neat things bag. Okay. Behind them. In okay. fact, you will be mistaken for a pilot if you have one. And okay, right, <laughs> but, sure. Yeah. Okay, okay. Now, do you, cool. do you ever put your laptop in it? I do. Or, yeah. Okay. So there are I times do. when you don't have a backpack for your right. laptop. You're just carrying I, it that way. I do. Well, yeah, okay. I can go really light. I do. See, I should have just asked you about yeah, this months ago. I don't the know. The other why. neat thing about that, again, as a road warrior thing, there are things in that suitcase that, um, for instance, I can find my uh, eyeglass repair screwdriver in the middle of the night because it's always in the same pocket and right. it has been there for ten years. Um, I know where the cord, where the USB cords and my adapters are. Because it's in the same outside side pocket. This thing has a bunch of external pockets, which is really huge That's when huge. you're traveling all the time. Yeah. To be able to get something without having to get in and dig under your dirty skivvies looking around for it. And, okay. Yeah. So. Okay. So that's what I do. Okay, so yeah, so I'm heading down the same path that you've already yeah. figured out. I should have asked you a long time. Yeah, ago. sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm the stupid one. Yeah. All right, so your tangent, John. Go. I forgot. <laughs> Something about a mini. With a mini Cooper? Min, no, mini tangent yeah, is yeah, what he meant. Mini tangent. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it'll come back someday. Yeah. No, oh, oh, Dave, how was your No, you 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 mentioned your travel was more expedient than usual in, in especially in 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 light of underpants boy. Oh yeah, it was it, no problem. I haven't had any security issues whatsoever. Now, to be fair, I've been flying American on which I have enough status to where I get to wait in different security lines. So And you're off 
And you're off the bad boy list. Yes. Because um, you were I, on the bad boy list for a while. I think you petitioned the TSA and they said, oh, yeah. you're, not the Dave, you're not the evil Dave Hamilton. Sorry and I, about that. I got a redress number, which was just my case number when I did that. You know, I have I seen that, that on some airline sites where all of when, them. You, when you sign up. Yeah, I was surprised. I'm like, yeah. what is this redress? So the redress number is the number which I think tells the airline, okay, check the TSA database. You got it. To make sure this guy is legit, because if he is, then he's in the database with this reference number. So I'll ask you for that later. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sure but, it's just a number. But, but you, you had, uh, yeah, there was some terrible person that had your name out yeah. there for a while. Because you told me you, could, you couldn't do auto, auto. you know, no, you couldn't, couldn't get your boarding chicken. passes. Nope. You couldn't do anything. They always hassled you. you, you that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. No, it sucked. It was terrible. All right. It's time to bring the band in. We're, we're running as late as we've ever. How run, long? I think. Is this the longest show? I don't ever? know. It's close. We're at 110, 111 now. So. Okay. Not quite the longest, but we had a lot of stuff and we, yeah. we're just good stuff. We're feeling good. That's good. All right. Uh, a couple of things here. Contact information. We never did get to that. Oh, my gosh. How would you contact us, Dave? I would pick up the phone and call 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. But I think even better than that, and certainly more popular with our listeners, is to email us. Because you can not only email text, but you can email audio comments as well to feedback at com. I think there was a problem there because uh, I didn't quite hear you. Uh, did you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com? Oh, you heard me. I said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And then, you, of course, you can Skype us at MacGeekGab. That is the uh, audio-wise, audio quality-wise, that's the worst way, but it does yeah. work and we can hear you. So, uh, you know, feel free to use that as well. Uh, okay, Macworld Expo is uh, the next time I have to travel. Speaking of travel, John, you're going too. It, we got a few it, things. Uh, or you were going to cover them, but a few a few things people have asked us about. So you and I are doing a podcast. Well, let me let me give the dates here. Macworld Go. Expo, right? So the show itself runs uh, February 9th through thirteenth. The exhibits are open February eleventh through thirteenth, mm. and on February eleventh, which is a Thursday, is the uh, is when we're having our Cirque de Mac party. Uh, I'm going to try and off the top of my head remember the sponsors for the party, which are. Uh, Ecelerate, Microsoft, Project Wizards, Verbatim, and just a couple of hours ago, uh, we added uh, Smile on my Mac to that list. Outstanding. So, now, those- Dave, I, I got to ask you, how would I even get a, a? I assume you need a ticket to get into this party. You can't just wander in off the street. That's correct. And well, usually you can't, but but normally we <laughs> we'd like you to have a ticket. But Dave, how can I get more info, or maybe you know get a ticket, or What's happening with that? I would say listen to the podcast in about two weeks, and we'll have we'll have something very special for Mac Geek Gab listeners, and and we'll leave it at that. Uh, but 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 Excellent. keep listening, and and you will have an opportunity to uh, to get some some uh, tickets there for for the show. And I think in general, if if you know us and you see us on the floor, we may have a couple of tickets. Yeah, here's on the us. thing though: the the you know the show floor opens at noon on that on the eleventh. And the party starts at 8 p.m. So there's not going to be a whole lot of time. Now, at 12.30 on the 11th, you and I are doing a live podcast on the show floor. So that is a a way place to find us. There's a mob. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll alert them to have extra seating for the people that want tickets to the party. (laughs) That's right. But anyways, anybody who's on the TMO staff, if if you know anybody, including myself, Dave, 
uh, Nancy, uh, Brian, I guess, uh, Jeff, yeah. and probably more, right? Yeah. I think that's probably yeah. the core group there. There, there may be some more. Um, anyways, what else? Uh, oh, we, we're, we're running oh my too gosh. here. No, it's all right. Uh, iPhonealley.com is Michael Johnston's home. He's the one that converts this to AAC for your interactivity and pleasure. Cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth to get this podcast from us to you. The podcast marketplace this month includes the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, and Notebook from Circus Ponies all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Today is January 11th. Tomorrow is January 12th, Tuesday. If you are listening to this before about 7 p.m. on the 12th and you are in the New Hampshire Seacoast area, come on down to Rye, I think it's junior high school. Check seacoastmug.org uh, I, uh, for duress, uh, address and directions, not for, but not for duress. No, not for duress at all. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I'm I'm speaking there tomorrow night doing my uh, doing a, a take on my lean clean and mean uh, running your Mac presentation. We'll, we'll nice. see how that goes. And, yeah, we uh, get tongue twisted after yeah. a little over an hour. I think that just it's time to go. Well, I can't think and talk at the same time. It's, I know it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. It's got to get warmer, Dave. Oh, and it will. Until then, stay warm, have fun, but don't get caught. Made up.